Hello, and welcome to Real Deals On Air. I'm Nicholas Nevling, and in this program, we are going to be taking a detailed look at mid-market acquisition finance. At the end of July, a group of lenders, advisors, and GPs joined an invitation-only call hosted by Real Deals to take stock of where debt markets stood after the COVID-19 disruption over the first half of the year. I moderated the session and was joined by Aries management partner, Daniel Sinclair, Peter Brown, the head of private debt for Luxembourg at Aztec Group, Adriana Astor, the partner and founder of Resilience Partners, Tom Cox, a partner at Debt Advisor, FRP Advisory, Connection Capital partner, Miles Otway, and Paul Shea, a partner at Beechbrook Capital. An obvious starting point was to try and understand whether lenders had been able to continue deploying capital with M&A activity down and company earnings unpredictable. Daniel Sinclair at Aries Management, a firm that has remained active through the downturn, had some interesting thoughts on what market disruption meant for direct lenders and their appetite to keep doing deals. And so from our perspective, we believe strongly that you know, times of volatility, such as you've seen in the last couple of months, uh, often result in bank retrenchment and the closing of the liquid markets. Um, yeah, the, the period we are, have gone through and continue to go through, you know, I think have, have seen that happen again. And when that does happen, I think you see direct lenders uh, like ourselves and many of the other panel members today um, who are well capitalized and well positioned, you know, be able to step up and fill uh, th those gaps in the markets. And that's, you know, we've really seen those two uh, elements play out uh, since the start of sort of COVID-19 pandemic you know, across Europe. And therefore, for us, that we are seeing additional opportunities. I think one of the things that I think most people mentioned there in their, their introductions was, you know, flexible capital. And at times like this, you know, being able to look at a wide range of uh, financing structures across different parts of the capital structure uh, for businesses that are you know, at different stages of their development, I think is really important. And so for us, you know, that, that, that's been crucial. I think the other element is you know, a lot of people at the moment have been focused on you know, internally on their own portfolios. Um, you know, we have invested in scale. Um, we believe we've got the largest kind of direct lending dedicated team in Europe. And that gives us the opportunity to, you know, whilst retaining focus on, on the portfolio, actually be able to service clients uh, who are looking to uh, do new deals uh, in this market. Adriana Astor, who founded Spanish-based direct lender Resilience Partners, pointed out that regional dynamics had also come to the fore, opening up new opportunities for direct lenders. We've seen here a lot of rescue money since the COVID. Um, and this has basically been channeled exclusively via banks, uh, which means that banks have been focused on giving this money to the companies um, with this guarantee from the state, um, and that have they have completely forgotten uh, their resources for anything else. So, which means that companies that were not in need of rescue money from the COVID had really no not that many options. So, what what we have seen is that a strong pickup on the on the deal flow, in addition on the quality of the deal flow. Uh, and we have closed um, 
one deal and we're going to hopefully close another one next week. And I would, I would put those in two different buckets. Uh, we have seen, we focus mainly on sponsorless transactions, I directly with the entrepreneurs. Uh, and we also may do, if we have good access, um, also some sponsor back. So direct lenders seem to be well positioned to see out this period of tumult. But what about the banks? Aztec's Peter Brown was previously a banker in the RBS leverage finance team and gave his take on how banks are likely to respond to the COVID crisis. You know, the banks have, interestingly, are in a, a much better position in some ways and much worse. So clearly, you know, pre-financial crisis, tier one capital levels were, you know, down sort of single digits. They're now, you know, mid, mid-teens in terms of the capital. The banks are having to hold or holding a lot more capital. So more resilient to those kind of shocks. But the reality is it's very expensive to hold assets on the balance sheet. So, so they're going to go through a situation now where as that credit quality deteriorates, they're going to be absorbing capital without doing anything. Um, and so it's going to present some interesting, you know, challenges for them from a leverage finance perspective. You know, generally, you know, the market has shifted quite radically over the last few years. And, and obviously, you know, at least two thirds of the market is, is, is now dominated by private debt and, and, and direct lending. And so the banks are generally more conservative because it's more expensive to put higher price debt out and it absorbs more capital. So they're generally more playing at the super senior kind of senior level of working alongside, um, you know, private debt players and potentially other, you know, um, sort of investors. What does all of this mean for entrepreneurs, companies and financial sponsors who want to tap debt markets to finance deals over the long term? Connection Capital's Miles Otway and FRP Advisory's Tom Cox shared their thoughts on how the COVID-19 pandemic could change borrower expectations over the long term. First, we'll hear from Miles and then from Tom. We've seen certainly, we saw it last last time as we, you know, we launched our private debt offering a number of years ago, but the one dynamic that this drive is, is an acceptance of cost for flexibility, the cost for headroom. And I think the, the world that when, when all is sort of solid two, 3% growth in the economy, everyone's ticking up, people look, forget the value of flexibility and the value of headroom and the value of funders with different ways to look at an opportunity. And that tends to drive, and I'm talking purely from the smaller, entrepreneurially typically not uh, sponsor-backed end of the world, um, but that tends to drive people out of a, I'll go for my cheapest option, which will almost always be a senior bank, but cost of capital will always make that the cheapest option to something that says, I'll take a bit more with a more flexible structure, a bullet or something with a cash sweep, something along those lines that just takes some of the pressure off the business gives you more headroom, but costs a bit more. And that's just the quid pro quo. But that that focus on bottom line cost, bottom line cost, bottom line cost only in your uh, in your debt, stru- uh, debt structures shifts as people experience some of the things that they go through. And it's even more extreme now than it was you know, a number of years ago coming out of the financial crisis. So I think that will also drive the appetite because our biggest issue, I think, uh, at the very lower end is is the acceptance of the cost that comes with the flexibility with entrepreneurs who are often you know they've run their business their own way you know to the bottom line to drive their big dividend or whatever it might have been year on year and that cost comes in their head straight off their you know off their dividend for next year so there's that balance that, that changes as the risk profile of some of these things changes very 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 much a uh, in the i guess this sponsorless uh, market a, a continuing shift towards the, to, to, to that kind of product simply because um, you know management teams are realizing that the old relationship with the bank isn't going to work anymore 
and actually for what they want to do. And probably they, you know, often they don't want to see that, you know, they don't want to concede equity, uh, perhaps at a step, life cycle stage of a deal. Um, they are now much more willing to, um, you know, investigate the options with the institutional market, which, which clearly has been a massive shift on the sponsor side over the last the last five six years. And you know, if it's been whichever stat you you, you read, it's you know somewhere between fifty percent and two thirds of the market is is private private credit now on probably sponsor bad stuff. Um, if we're going to see an even bigger shift, that's quite you know that's that, that's incredible really. Um, but I think it's true. Um, I think you know on, on the overall question, I mean, it ultimately depends on your without being facetious on your your attitude to risk and what the deal structure looks like. Um, you know, picking up on just finally some of the other, other points. You know, there, there clearly isn't a huge amount of primary LBO flow at the moment yeah, in in reality. Um, but there are, to, to Miles's point, quite a few um, sort of what I sort of buy and build opportunistic bolt-on situations which need flexible capital, and that just doesn't work with the banks at the moment because they don't have the capacity to or, or the willingness to look at these kind of deals. Um, and, and and people are now waking waking up to the you know the, the the benefits of institutional credit. The pandemic has, of course, also seen a spike in financial distress and restructuring. A number of lenders have found their portfolios in distress for the first time in more than a decade. So, what are the stress points? Will the lender universe contract? And what impacts have there been on GP lender relationships? Tom Cox from FRP Advisory again. I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think in the longer term, there will be a, um, uh, it's not necessarily consolidation, but I think there will be a, a different structure to the institutional market. Um, it's not going to be overnight, as people have said. I think this is sort of a five to 10 year horizon. But um, I think uh, to pick up on some of the points that have already been made, um, I, I think in terms of the, the players we speak to, I think to, to a man, everybody was doing the right thing at the start of the crisis in terms of engaging with the management team and getting information and all this sort of good stuff. Um, but um, let, let's be clear, absolutely clear, we're, we're, we're very much in the foothills of this crisis. Um, and, um, uh, you know, obviously, given, given our practice, I have quite a lot of uh, intelligence around kind of the insolvency market. And Insolvency appointments in June were some of the lowest of, of all time in terms of uh, recorded insolvency. So, you know, people are dealing with, with with perceived stress, but this, you know, the genuine stress into portfolios hasn't really emerged yet, and for very obvious reasons which we're all aware of in terms of, you know, state-backed schemes, um, you know, unwinding. Um, the point I would raise, I think, is in the mid, in the sort of the the, the middle of the mid market, a lot of in reality, there isn't actually that much experience in restructuring um, because a lot of people have been deploying into a full market for 10 years. And a lot of conversations I've had is a lot of people running around very much relying on the grey hair within their organisations at, at this stage before we, the, you know, the proverbials even really hit the fan. So it is going to be really quite interesting how people are able to cope when everything does potentially start lighting up red. Um, those with infrastructure without doubt will be better positioned um but you know to sort of jump onto the second question what are we seeing in terms of uh gp gp and lender i mean i think generally it's been pretty collaborative so far albeit in that bubble of 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 of, of lack, sort of lack of stress really um uh you know we've seen one or two relationships break down horribly simply because the sponsor has ultimately said we can't justify putting any money into this situation because how, how could we ever tell our LPs we've done that 
and you know, lenders basically falling out of bed because that wasn't why they got into the deal in the first place because this is clear this was clearly a relationship play i think that's relatively limited so far and actually what we've seen is relatively collaborative work between parties so far finally talk turned to fundraising and what the prospects for private debt fundraising were in a post-pandemic world peter brown and adriana astort with a final word from beachbrook capital partner paul shea so there's a lot of money for investors to be deployed you know, and, and there will continue to be raises, but certainly, you know, we saw that kind of hiatus over those two, three months, that two, three month period, as I think for, you know, existing managers, it'll be much easier to do, blinding the obvious, I apologise, but, but for the new, I think it will be, I think it will be increasingly, um, you know, increasingly challenging and we'll, we'll, we'll I guess, need to, uh, to wait and see. My view is that this is a crunch time for the asset class and that, uh, you know, we need to show that we can deliver for investors, that distributions keep coming, that, uh, you know, I think it's been um, a bull market. And I think now we need to prove that it works for companies and we can be flexible to get our money back as well as for investors. Um, so I think with that, if you have performance, the portfolio is going well, I think things will fall into place and fall into place. But I think it's clear that uh, uncertainty is not, it doesn't help fundraising. The, the hunt for yield continues. And the long-term dynamics remain very positive, and particularly for direct lending, which doesn't have the volatility of the public markets. So, and also the feature this time is there's no denominator effect because they've continued to pump up equity prices, which have maintained other asset prices. So the alternatives bucket uh, isn't collapsing like it was previously. So I, I agree that there's a current pause as uncertainty persists. But once that passes, I think the long-term dynamics are very positive.